0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. To you take a number two lead pencil and you fill in A, B, C, D. And then they stick it in a computer and it reads it and grades it. And so the teachers can go get a beer. <laughs> and smoke all the grass they confiscated. <laughs> so anyway, the... Anyway, so that's the uh, that's a called a scantron sheet. So our lives is like one long sheet because your whole life is just choice after choice after choice after choice. You got macro choices, you got micro choices. Like it never ends. You're like constant choices going on all the time. Even right here in this room, you have so many choices going on. Like you can choose to be here, or you can choose to just space out. You can breathe. I'm gonna take a breath, but a conscious breath. Or you can breathe in involuntarily. You can sit up straight or you can just get into some other position. You you got so many choices going on. You can choose to be in Jerusalem even though you're already here. Or you can just not be involved in that choice. You can choose to be in this class or not and just be this part of essential schedule. I'm in the essential schedule. And Rabbi Glazer happened to walk in. Or you can choose to be here with me. I'd prefer you did that. Because I'd like to be chosen. I don't want to be like some, you know bump on a log that's part of the schedule, I want to be. (laughs) Maybe you should be in charge of when we laugh. (laughs) From now on, we laugh when Aviva laughs. Normally, I can make Aviva have to wait for us to laugh. This time, we're all going to laugh when Aviva laughs. So, anyway. (laughs) So we have tons of choices going on all the time. Some of those choices are moral. I mean, if you think about the choices, you have choice of, like, dinner or movie, meat or milk, you know, a little, little choice. Should I, should I, like, go to this bathroom? Should I go to that one? Should I, should I go to sleep now? Should I get up now? Should I eat, uh, you know, a cookie now or something It's like it never ends. And, and then you have moral choice of right and wrong. That's going on also all the time. You know, is this the right thing to do? Is this the wrong thing? Right thing to do? Wrong thing. Right thing to do? The more you do the right thing, if you keep doing the next right thing, the happier you are. The more you do the next wrong thing, the more depressed you get. very simple. You do the next right thing, you get happier. You do the next wrong thing, you can't look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day. But seriously, we could put Prozac out of business. Put Prozac out of business, just do the right things. Every time you do the right thing, you just add more in the bank account of your joy in your life. Because everybody knows that when you do the right things, you feel good. Everyone knows that we all feel good when we do the right things so and every time we do the wrong thing even if it feels good to the body you can't you can't live with yourself so it's like what good was it what good was it what'd you get out of it you know like yeah. it's Shabbos night you're not so Shomer Shabbat and so you you might jump in a car you might not and there's a party of people taking off and there's one seat left in the car and they're like, jump in get in we're going to a party So you may have a great time at that party, but you'll never forget the party for the fact that you broke Shabbos to go there. That's how it will stay in your memory. Like, you want to make a party memorable? (laughs) Jump in a car to go there on Shabbat. You know, you'll never forget that particular party. You know, you'll remember it forever. Why? Because of the negative feelings that came from having made such a decision. Now, some say ignorance bliss then. (laughs) Like, get me out of yeshiva. You notice our, look at our exit sign, by the way check out our exit sign <laughs> it's, what is that hieroglyphics or something you know you, you can't even read the exit sign you know why did in, in English speaking classes the exit sign should be in English E-X-I-T instead we got like I don't even know what language that is so oh thank you no so <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's my point slide over a little bro yeah what's my no no you're good good. what's my point is that information comes in one way and don't go out like everything you're going to learn in here everything you're going to learn anytime you're learning Torah is going to add to the joy of life because more good choices and the pain of life because it ups it ups the bar of what's called good you understand I imagine you guys have thought about that before You're like, do I really want to go to this class? I mean, do I want to add something else to feel guilty about? You know? (laughs) So once this question was posed to Rabbi Noah Weinberg, like, "How how are we supposed to ever market a Torah class? Like, the more they learn, the more they've upped the bar on their joy. Doing it brings the joy. Avoiding it brings the pain. So how are we ever supposed to? We got the perfectly unmarketable product because everyone's going to have extreme cognitive dissonance to up the bar in their life. And so you know what his answer was to us? It was an amazing answer. He said it's a mitzvah to live in reality. Ignorance is not bliss. It's a mitzvah to live in reality. That's what he said. We asked him another time, we asked him a question. Should we be teaching an elderly man about God? About God's existence? Should we be teaching an elderly man about God's existence? What's the question? If he finds out about God's existence, now what? And and yet his whole lifestyle, which is, it's pretty hard to change a man. I mean, an old man once said to me, Rabbi, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I said to him, you're not a dog. But there are people 70 years old, 80 years old, they don't believe in God, but they've got habits that are so outside the scope of... Torah. So should you teach them or should you not? Let's hear what you guys think. You guys are the rabbis now, okay? We asked this of Rabbi Weinberg. Do you teach him about God, which means you're basically giving him a, you know, a trip to hell. Yeah, he's going to hell in a bucket. Yeah? He's giving him a trip to hell. Well, you know, older people have been tainted by so, so many different life experiences where, you know, especially the Past generation, they've been through so much, you know. So, so so what could be worse? So it's it's hard to teach them about it again because yeah, they are stuck in their habits and they are stuck in their way of thinking. My question, but you guys got the question. Here's your question. Everyone's got to answer. Everyone has to raise their hand or not, (laughs) dude. Don't worry, Chase. It's you look like a fly. (laughs) 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 Can I teach them shades like this? (laughs) So anyway. Shades are like a nightmare. And, you know, I finally stopped wearing shades. I'm back to wearing shades, but I stopped wearing shades for about 10 years. You know why? Because if I ever forgot my shades, I was so bummed. So I, if I, But if I don't have shades, I won't be happy all the time. I'll never be sad that I forgot my shades. So I stopped wearing shades. Later, I stopped wearing shades because I realized that when you walk by people with shades, it's the most impersonal thing in the world. They're staring. They're looking at you. Without you seeing where they're looking at, you know, it's like pornography. You, know? <laughs> you see, you see them, and they can't see you. You know, the, um, they, it's, shades are, crazy things, but, if, as long as I'm on my bike, I wear my shades. But once I'm walking, I'm passing people, who have to suffer with like, I wonder what that guy is thinking. So that, that, then I'm, just, I'm gonna go with these, shalom. Relax, enjoy. Everything. I'm not gonna walk around like Darth Vader. Okay, ready? Everyone's gonna vote. Teach the old man about God. Raise your hand. Teach the old man about God, even though you're giving him a quick trip to hell. Okay. Okay, vote. Okay, thirteen votes. Thirteen votes for uh, for uh, teach the guy about him. Who says? He, everyone has to vote. Who says, leave the old bugger alone? Leave the old bugger alone and let him, because what's going to happen? He's going to die. God's going to say, like, hello, where y'all been? And he's going to be like, who knew? God's going to say, okay, what can we do with you? The victim of your circumstances. So we got about six votes, I noticed. About six votes for don't teach. Now, let's get a showing of hands of what you think Rabbi Weinberg said. Teach him about God or don't teach him about God? I already told you a principle earlier. Teach him about God, all in favor, teach him about God. Raise your hand that Rabbi Weinberg said, teach him about God. And raise your hand if Rabbi Weinberg said, not leave the old bugger alone. <laughs> you don't know Rabbi Weinberg very well. And now you guys heard the earlier principle. I think that's why you raised your hand for that one. Why would Rabbi Weinberg say, teach him about God? Because he teach him about God. No, I said it earlier. No. Yeah. Rather live reality than live ah, it's a, always a mitzvah to live? Yeah. It's always a mitzvah to live in reality. This guy's living in the matrix, basically. And he needs to eat the red pill and find out there's a God. But he went on to tell us, Rabbi Weinberg, that that <coughs> you only get in the spiritual world, whatever you live in the physical world, the currency Right, we have currency here, like you buy things with shekels here, and in America you buy things with dollars, in Mexico you buy things with pesos, and, and uh, in, uh, I don't know, Russia you buy things in like gold bricks <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you buy anymore. bottles of vodka bottles of vodka. <laughs> bottles of vodka so the currency for the spiritual world is spirituality more spiritual you live down here, you have something in your wallet when you get up there. I've mentioned to you guys in the past that when I go to uh, JFK, I always try to buy my uh, Starbucks coffee. I go to Starbucks and I pull out uh, 50 shekels like this. And the lady's like, "Uh, we don't take money like that that here. And I'm like, uh, nothing wrong with this money. I just got off a plane from Israel and, uh, and you know it's nothing on here that looks so Jewish but uh, this guy looks like Groucho Marx so so I say it's good money what's the problem I mean the shekel's more you know, stable than the dollar right Right now like, what's the big deal and she's like honey you got dollars oh you're not getting your coffee <laughs> at which point I hand her some dollars but I want to feel the feeling going somewhere and not having the currency. I want to feel that feeling. I want to sense what it's like to show up with the wrong currency. So whatever we do in this life that's spiritual, when you get out of the body and the soul goes into the spiritual realm, so whatever you did, spiritual in this world is what you experience spiritual in that world. And you should know something. I hate to say this, but you got to do, not only do you have to do something spiritual, but you got to do spiritual for the right reasons. Meaning, if someone prays and they're just trying to look like they can do this better than the guy next to them, it doesn't go up. If someone prays extra long to make it look holy, it stays in this world. someone who wants to learn a bunch of Torah because it makes them the smart guy amongst all his friends or his siblings, gets locked in. Locked down here in the physical world. In fact, they want uh, the Baal Shem Tov. Once uh, was walking in a new town. He was on his way into the synagogue. They were all proud to bring him into the big synagogue of the town. And he said, I can't go in there. And they said, they said what do you mean you can't go in there? It's our synagogue. He said, no, I'm not praying in there. Said, What's the problem? He says, the place is full of prayers. <laughs> he said, they said, well, isn't that what a synagogue's for? And he said, no, the prayers are supposed to go up could sense the synagogue was filled with all the prayers. It was like a, it was like a cap, locking in all the prayers that had been said in that synagogue. Who knows what that synagogue was all about? But apparently, there was probably some serious pressure to pray there, uh, on each other, maybe from the rabbi. But the ch- prayers got locked in. The Baal Shemto could sense the heaviness of the prayers inside the room, that they were not making their way up. Everything has to be done sincerely, and we all have to measure our own motives when we when we do any good deed. so good deeds, spiritual moves are your that's your currency but you also have to be a pure heart when you do it. The good news is is that anything that you did that got locked in in this world you can just do it again with the right motives and you get both meaning let's say you gave Suedka for the wrong reasons and 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 so it gets locked in. So you give tzedakah again for the right reasons and they both come out now. I chose a terrible example because I learned that tzedakah and chesed tzedakah and chesed are the two things that are not uh doesn't matter what your motivation You know why you know why it doesn't matter your motivation because it's it's the actual substrate of creation. God created the world via chesed And so when you help another person it's irrelevant what your motives were. You just ignore your motives. What's, um, what's say? Kindness. Yeah. I mean, I mean so like acts of kindness. Whenever you're helping another person, you are doing what the whole creation's made of. And so it goes straight up. Whereas all the other mitzvahs, Torah study, prayer, um, you know, Tufilin, Shabbat, like all the other things we do. Rashi says that you shouldn't even say things like, like, pig is disgusting. Or, or is yeah, who wouldn't like to sit around with family and sing the song? He says, you shouldn't say that stuff. He says, you're going to lose your reward. You should say, mm, mm, mm. Wouldn't I love some pork chops, right? <laughs> but I ain't going to eat them because the Torah forbids them. And Rashi says, you should be like, wow, would I like to be at that Bruce Springsteen concert tonight? only it's Shabbos. He says that you shouldn't be pretend or be excited about Judaism. Don't be so excited about it all the time. You can be excited about the spiritual connection of God. That you can be excited about. But to sit here excited about one particular mitzvah, you should be excited about the opposite and then earn the reward of doing Shabbat. Eating kosher. Meaning, you understand, you get the, you get the idea? What example, what example, example about um, giving tzedakah, that if you're giving to somebody and you're thinking, oh, maybe I don't know if this person going to use it the right way, or do, they, or do they really need it, but you still give, because that's not you to determine, right, right, yeah. would that be like an example? When you're not sure, you give less, and when you're sure, you give more. So, I got the 50 shekel pieces for the people I'm not sure about. And I got the 5s so for the people I am sure about. And I got the ones for the people walking through the shul. Because, you know, they're walking by every minute. So, so you're going to be like, you know, you get out five, ten shekels by the end of the Dominic. The half shekels go to the guys. If you got a guy who you think is just, a, you know, running a racket, you give him a half a shekel. got to give him a half. Why do you have to give him a half? Out of doubt that, in a little doubt that maybe he's not running a racket, that you have... You, you don't want to override a negative commandment. You do you know that you, everyone thinks Sadaka is positive, right? You shall yeah. give get No one knows there's a negative commandment regarding Sadaka. You know what it is? You shall not not give Sadaka. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's one of the 613. Did you know that? You know that, Martin? It's two separate commandments a positive and a negative. You shall give and you shall not not give. There's that one guy that's right outside the uh, right by the yellow umbrellas. Yeah. He seems like such a skin Like he's he's young. He's that very well printed sign about his house and everything. And I could have sworn I saw him there four or five years ago with the same exact sign <laughs> so, and he's like, and I just don't. He seems very young and. The acid creative. test, you know, you the know. acid test of with whether a guy's real or not. If you really want to know, because you're living around here. I don't know if you're living around here. But sometimes you're living around a guy, you can see him every day, and you're like, you want to know, is it real or is it not? The way you know is you watch the way they ask for tzedakah from people who look like me. Just stand at a bit of a distance and see if they suddenly put their head down and look busy. If they put their head down and look busy, why? Because they know that we know we have to get. We have no choice. They know that tzedakah collector knows that we can't say no. Anyone who keeps commandments and clearly walks around like me, mm-hmm. I have to go. I can't say no.
1: So, so more guilty
0: from So well, it's not that they'll feel more guilty. Their senses, we know, we're on to them, and so they'll just put their head down and pretend they're doing something else. And then as soon as I walk by, he's suddenly back to go, back to work. But you'll see, there's many sadaka collectors in the old city that will never ever ask sadaka from me or any of the other rabbis walking by. You only have to yeah, but then you go to the kotel, and they come right up to us. The kotel, you you can't just go to the kotel unless you're real. If you get if someone if a sh- if a guy gets caught at the kotel, was one of these fakers? Wow. Half the people you see around here it's because they've already been they were removed years ago from the kotel. You can't collect stuff in the kotel. And the smart guys at the kotel they walk around with a big water can. Some of these guys in the Kota. I don't have You're all like, hey, I want to see this thing. one." is all I got today. <laughs> but imagine this is like, you know, it's like this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They're, they're watering It's like 200s. Whoa. And they're like, stuck good stuck on. The guy's holding like 10, 15, 20,000 checks. Stuck good stuck on. Why is he doing that? Who can tell me besides you? I know why. I, you know why he's doing it. You know why? Yeah, what's he doing it. That no, no, no. stuck. Not people already gave, so. Oh yeah, I'm the guy. You know, like can you see I'm the guy? I'm twenty thousand. <laughs> yeah, no. On the other hand he's giving an opportunity. I mean, I look at these people like it's a, it's a blessing. They're giving people most people. If it's, it is, a, it's a commandment, and we have to get to that. But most people don't, for whatever reason. So if these people are coming to, you and you're giving you the opportunity, for whatever reason, they need it, they don't need it, but you're duped. It's, uh, I feel like. Uh, they helped. They helped you out that day. You didn't help them. They helped you. <laughs> okay. Talking, now I'm starting to wonder if you know the answer. <laughs> you don't know why he's doing it. Wait, who wants, right? You know why he's doing it? So. Why? Um, because like he shows that he has a lot, and you're not pressured to give him. you don't feel like you have to do It's much simpler than that, guys. Uh, <laughs> Except, I think it was my fault. I okay. apologize. Like it was my fault. I left out a little detail. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> the, the detail was um, it was Sadaka. He's he's raising Sadaka. So most of the guys down there are raising Sadaka so for families. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for like you know, he's this guy's handling ten families. This guy's handling five families. This guy's handling six families. They're raising, or this guy's handling Shabbos for a whole neighborhood of the poor people in that neighborhood, and they donate some of their time to go to the hotel where lots of Westerners come. And, like, they give over an hour or two of their day to go raise some funds for families. Why is he walking around with a big wad of cash? He's showing you, like, I don't need money. I'm holding 20,000 shekels. This is not for me. I've got a ton of money. No, it's thousands of shekels. He's saying there's no lack of money here. This is just whether you want to be part of helping families. So the ones who do the families... Are holding big wads of money, and you you always know if you see the big wad of money, that's the guy. That's the guy, you know, he's going to be giving it where it belongs, especially the koto because no one gets into the koto if they're making trouble. They'll be there for a half day till someone finally like throws them out. What about the people on the steps? On the stairs? We're not going to talk about the steps <laughs> <laughs> now. <gasps> So the point was that it's always a mitzvah to live in reality. And your next world, this spiritual currency, is the spirituality of this world. Your motives, I'm just reviewing everything. Your motives are just as important as what you do. Unless it's chesed or tzedakah. Unless you're helping somebody. My my rabbi gives a little... uh, analogy of that. He says there's some guy like he's going to die if he doesn't get like a sandwich now. You know, like he needs a sandwich in like the next minute. And so he's collecting money. So you pull out your ten bucks and you're like, but you're like really into Kabbalah. So before you hand it to him, you're like (laughs) Any rate, you open your eyes, and he's dead. <laughs> that's that's his illustration of like when it comes to. That's how he brings home the point of like. Did you go Thursday night? By the way, did you have the rabbi? Is that ah, the reason yeah. why we don't make a bracha? Yeah, no bracha. I, that's what he said, but I don't know if that's the, the reason. But he mentioned that no bracha. How many mitzvahs? You don't have a bracha. Every mitzvah gets a bracha, and this mitzvah. Just give it over. No bro. Okay, man, you're making a from the guy. Ah, share kiddushan, be mitzvah You know, you're your eye and he's gone. Reminds me of a great joke of, uh, you know, if you're ever going to, if God forbid it should never happen to you, but if someone was ever going to be killed for being a Jew. So, so it's called dying, al kiddush Hashem. It's also one of the 613 commandments, is to die al kiddush Hashem, <laughs> which is like, pretty easy to do. I mean, wear, I don't know, get a t-shirt that says, like, I hate Arabs, and walk through the Arab Shook, you know, like, easy commandment, but that would be suicide. So, getting killed for being a Jew is one of the commandments, the 613 commandments. Now, obviously, you're not supposed to go do it. What are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to die for the sanctification of God's name, even though it's a commandment. Rather, you're supposed to Live. live for it. You want to live for it. You want your life to be one giant Kiddush Hashem. But the mitzvah itself is is, is if you were to die, you die all Kiddush Hashem. Like, but you're supposed to live for Kiddush, sanctifying God's name. And everything you do, and being so careful, never to do the opposite. Which is scary. Guy looks like me. You know, like, like I remember the first time I put on a kippah, I was like, am I allowed to jaywalk? Like, can I jaywalk? And then I was like, yeah, I can jaywalk. <laughs> Forget that, you know. For sure, I can jaywalk, but you, you got to be careful with uh, with what you do. You know, because we we're held to a higher standard, and you don't want to like make God look bad. By the way, that's another one of the six. Of this is like the six thirteen commandment day in our class. There's another commandment of the six thirteen, is never to desecrate God's name. How do you desecrate God's name through your actions? Through your actions. So once you are an example of a Jew, so you gotta watch what you do. Watch what you do. Now, so motivation counts. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you a question on a previous point Oh wait, wait! Just let me—I'm interrupting you just for a second. It's just a funny joke. Oh no, it won't be funny. <laughs> No, you'd have to be, like, raised observant if it, if, for it to be funny. But since I already said this much, for whoever's watching this, whoever's raised observant, there's something called a hefsek. Hefsek, like, for example, if you made hamotzi lechem and then someone, like, grabbed the challah from you before you got to eat it, that's called a hefsek. Meaning it something got, it got there was a break. And you, you'd be, like, freaking out because you just finished your bracha, you like, go tackle the guy and get your challah back. <laughs> and then, so you can swallow some challah. You don't want to have sex. Also, like when you wash your hands for al time for bread, you should get to the eating quick. This is why the host who makes mozi always makes al dying last. So that it's the because since no matter what, he's gonna have to be the he's gonna be the one making hamotzi, he has to be the last guy to wash. So there's no sick Everyone practice the word sick Anyway, so there was this old man, he was in the forest in Europe. And these bandits come to kill him, and they're like, they found an old Jew, and no one's around, so they're going to kill the old Jew, and and he's about to kill him, and the old Jew says to him, "Wait a second, let me make a blessing. You know, the least you could do is let me make the blessing on fulfilling the mitzvah of sanctifying God's name with my life." And so the bandits were like, "All right, go ahead and make your blessing." Anyway, this this old guy was a holy guy. He goes into such a blessing. And by the time he even got to God's name, he was shaking red, he was, like spinning around everywhere and like bumping into trees. And like, anyway, the, the bandits just got scared and left. You know, they were like, let's find someone else to kill. I mean, this guy is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> so they took off. Anyway, he finally finishes his blessing, you know. I'll kiddish you know, for the sanctification of God's name. And he opens up his eyes. <laughs> There's no one there, and he sees the in The Disney starts chasing after him, yelling, "Hipsick, hipsick!" <laughs> <laughs> what I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a friend of a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine's grandfather. Friend of mine who actually plays uh, he's a, like he's a serious tackle football player and the coach of Jerusalem's uh, one of Jerusalem's teams, and uh, his grandfather, the coach of the Jerusalem tackle football team's grandfather, lived in Europe. And one Shabbat night, you know, they're out the rural rural area. One Shabbat night, bandits come to the to the door, and you know they got knives drawn. He's just like, take everything, and they're like, we don't want your stuff. We want your food. <laughs> And they um, and he had, he literally brought up all the food from Shabbat, like their whole everything they had for Shabbat, put it in bags, put it in whatever they could, and sent it with the bandits. You know, it's like the eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds. Sent it out to the forest, so they had no food that Shabbat. They lived though, Rosh Hashem. and uh, um, oh. My stories, like I'm doing a great job here. Um, When he opened the door and saw the bandits, he thought they were going to kill him immediately, and so he screamed with such a shrill, "Shema Yisrael." That was the first thing he did. He sees bandits with knives. We're going to die. So he just screamed it before he died. He was sure he was going to die on the spot. When he finished, you know, Hashem Echad. He opens up his eyes and they're like we just want some food we're not here to hurt anybody and so, so anyway minor part of the story you know anyway hands up food hands up food they take all their food 12 years later 13 years later whatever the day was but there's a certain age I think at puberty or whatever in the bandits community for thousands of years that when a boy goes through puberty they, um, they have to kill the first person. The, bandit, the kid has to kill someone. They set it up, they bring him someone and he kills him. That's, that's the way it goes. They break him in for how to kill a person. So turns out that years later my friend's grandfather was uh, on his way somewhere when they got mar- marauders came, stopped their caravan, and took the uh, took him. He was the driver of the buggy. They just took him out, took the horses and took him out in the forest. He figured he was just getting his horses stolen, but later he found he was tied up, and the kid was given a knife to kill him. And and he asked to say Shema. He said Shema as loud as he can, with the most intensity, with a shrill in his voice. And when he finished his Shema, the man who tied him up, who was the father of the boy, said, you're not from such and such a town In such and such a place you? And he's like, I am He says, I recognize your voice He says, Why? He says, when this kid was born We had no food To celebrate his birthday Or feed the, his mother And so we went and got the food For his being born the celebration of his birthday And to feed his mother You fed this kid You know, you're, you're the one Who fed our family on his birthday we can't kill you. He went on to have a son who had a, who was a famous man, a famous Jewish man, who had a son who was a buddy of mine. This giant guy who was the, king, you know, the coach of the tackle football team in uh, Jerusalem. It's amazing what we went through in Europe. We're like, we just don't even know. We don't even know. We have no clue. Looks, uh, reminds me of uh, another story. <laughs> 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 we, we, had a, we had a girl here who was sent here. She was engaged to a Gentile. Can you imagine a Jew engaged with a Gentile? It's unheard of. So she was engaged to a Gentile and she's here in Israel because someone convinced her to come for three weeks. They said, Listen, you want to marry the Gentile? Marry the Gentile. But at least make a choice because you don't know nothing about Judaism find out three weeks of Judaism, go marry the Gentile, but at least you made a choice. So she comes after three weeks, she says, I can't, I'm can't. i not married to Gentile. Now that I've seen Israel, now that I've seen my people, and now that I've learned the Torah, I'm not doing it. So she wasn't going to do it over the phone to break it up, so she goes to America, and she uh, goes out with him, and she says, so she's crying, you know, she's in love with this guy, she's you not know, supposed to marry him. She's crying, and she says, I'm so sorry, but i got to break it off. And this guy looks at her and says Hitler should have finished the job Hitler should have finished the job that's what he said her skin crawled she almost married this guy she flew right back to Israel she came to Rabbi Noah Weinberg's wife Robinson Weinberg where she was studying and you know what she said she said before when we lived in Europe they killed our bodies now they marry us. So we have no idea what they we went through over there in Europe, but our generation's dying in bigger numbers. But it's silent. It's silent. It's all it's all, you know, everyone rocking out to some band you know, with a shrimp cocktail in their hand at some intermarriage, you know. That, that's like in the old days it was the screams of Shema Yisrael and today it's the screams of anyway so, so we've got we've got all these choices to make and one of the major major ones for spiritual life in the next world is knowing there's a God that's the main one so Rav Noach Weinberg says not only is it a mitzvah to live in reality and if reality is there's a God so you have a mitzvah to teach that old guy about that. But it's not just that. There's no greater mitzvah. There's no greater mitzvah than knowing there's God. So even though he's missing Shabbat, and he's missing kosher, and he's missing the laws of sexuality, and he's missing this and he's missing that, at least he's got, the, he's got something. Because if you don't have that, do you have anything? If, if someone puts on tefillin and doesn't believe in God, does he get, them, does he get the reward? of that spiritual currency of tefillin in the next world. doesn't make a lot of sense. Someone keeps Shabbat, but doesn't believe in God? Like, do they get the reward for Shabbat? What's the point of keeping Shabbat if there's no God? You understand? There's no greater currency. You get that? Like, every mitzvah is compared to that should be optional in comparison. I'm not saying they are optional. I'm just saying, compared to it? Because those mitzvahs without it have lost all context. Without God, all the mitzvahs lose context. anyway like, What would be the point of strapping myself up with leather straps? I mean, keeping Shabbat, I can have a nice, chill Shabbat, you know, and still enjoy a, you know, a, you know, a concert. I'm a surfer, you know. You think I'm not going to enjoy my Shabbat and have a nice, chill Shabbat because I surf? but I've been sitting on the beach, watching perfect six to eight foot glassy waves, peeling down a point break, with all my buddies out there surfing. And they're looking at me like, you poor fool. And I'm just like, not surfing on Shabbat, not gonna happen. And and now this whole thing is because there's a God, like otherwise you're crazy. it's crazy. So teach the old guy about God. Because now he at least has currency. Now here's the kicker though. The kicker is that the Rambam says that if you believed in God, at least if you're Jewish, it's easier for Gentiles, but if you believed in God and you get upstairs, according to the Rambam, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, It doesn't work. You have to know. It's not a belief thing, you gotta know. What? You know that? Did you know that? Mm -hmm. You guys know that? Mm -hmm. Rambam doesn't offer belief. Gentiles, he says, Gentiles, it's enough they believe. According to Rambam in his list of the 613, you gotta know. You want reward? You want the spiritual currency? You got to know. Yeah, what's up? How do you fall knowledge? Ah! Ah! <laughs> uh, see, I set you guys up in a little bit of a trap and you just bailed them out. Mm-hmm. There are two types of knowledge. One is called absolute knowledge. The absolute knowledge, which is, for example, that you're in Jerusalem right now or that there are five fingers on this hand. Absolute knowledge. Now, do you think God's commanding us absolute knowledge? For a being you cannot see, touch, hear, smell. Taste. The closest you can come to tasting God is craft beer. (laughs) And the closest you can come to feeling God is being inside the tube of a wave or something I'll leave nameless. But the but surfers are always arguing which one's better. <laughs> hey, now, we say one's what? A one's can <laughs> If you're married, they're both okay. As long as you're married so the um and then there's something called what what's it called what kind of knowledge is this very good deductive knowledge and with deductive knowledge you're all set because god is not expecting anyone to have absolute knowledge of God unless you're a prophet prophet's okay a prophet is absolutely anything anything short of prophecy you're going to be in the realms of deductive knowledge you deduce it now that means all of us are going to have a different scale of deduction meaning if this is the knowledge of God so each one of us is going to have a different deduction and I'll bring it to your attention that you live or die through deductive knowledge for example Was it deductive knowledge or absolute knowledge that your plane would arrive here? Deductive. No one knew their plane would get here. Is it absolute knowledge or deductive knowledge when you drive your car that the steering wheel isn't going to come out in your hands around a turn at 60 miles per hour? It's deductive. You risk your life. Is it absolute or deductive when you ask someone to marry you? Neither. That's when your parents ask someone to marry you, you now this is deductive knowledge is it absolute or deductive when you make a business deal and you put all your hard-earned money into a business deal absolute or deductive? deductive Deductive. you live your life there God's not asking you much more than that if you're willing to risk your life on it that's all you need so you and it's interesting it could be you have to get to the point of your understanding of God that you risk your life I personally would I don't know about you guys But I've gotten to the level of evidence in my book. Now, I'm no big PhD. I don't know so much. And if you're a skateboarding high school dropout, you probably have a lower. This is the evidence. uh, This is evidence. You know, a skateboarding high school dropout maybe needs this much evidence. Someone with a couple PhDs might need that much evidence. People need different amounts of evidence. Depends who you are. But whatever you call knowing, whatever your amount of evidence you need you're all set by the way there's nothing wrong with belief belief you get from your parents belief is it's in the mother, mother's milk unless you're raised by my mother and I think my mother's milk was atheism but your mother's milk if you're raised by an observant woman it was in the milk so belief is in there Rambam's adding to that he's saying not only do you have to believe in your heart but you also gotta get to your knowledge. Different people have different levels of knowledge they need. But there's one very interesting thing that I wanna show you guys, and then we're gonna end with this. Is that whatever this circle is for you, this is the threshold of evidence, meaning one guy's threshold's here, this lady's threshold's here, someone else's threshold's here. Whatever your threshold is, you have gotta actually hold to it though. Once someone meets your threshold, you're in. But what happens is we're never intellectually honest when it comes to deductive knowledge. When you add to this to the equation a fear factor, add a fear factor to any financial deal. If a guy's afraid, you ever notice anyone? Anyone? Excuse Sorry, I'm running a little late. I'm almost done. The uh, anyone doing business here? Any business people here? Yeah? Is this? Anyone who had to deal with investors and stuff? Like get investors? Have you ever noticed that you can tell us in a second or two whether this guy's going for it or not? And so it's not, you don't want to waste your breath. You just don't want to waste your breath with someone who's afraid of the deal. Because no matter how much evidence you give them that this is going to pay off, they need more. And they need more. And they need more. Once you introduce a fear factor, people's threshold suddenly goes up. And then you give them more, and then it goes up. You're going to give more, and there's no end to it. People get very emotional, and they get unintellectual when it comes to fear. But what's the biggest fear when it comes to knowing there's a God? Once you know there's a God, what do you got to do? Commit. Yeah, you're going to you're gonna have to change. You're going to have to change. And what do you think one of the biggest fears of human beings is? Change. No. It's not change. <laughs> it's not change. What? It's No, nope. you know what one of the biggest fears is? That if you change, the people who think you're great are no longer going to think you're great. They're going to think you're a loser. You want to see how quickly you can become a loser? Watch this. You went from cool to loser Boom, loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you still have to pay us even without. It's that easy to instantly lose your entire social reputation that you've been developing for years and years and years and years. We're all developing a social reputation, which goes right out the window the second you know there's a guy. Because once you know, once you get honest with where you're, with real evidence, and you know what, I'll tell you something. I don't even care where your threshold is. Make it high, but make it real. Okay, let's go ahead. You've just experienced another Torah class. Brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.